it, since the pandemic started, I, I, I just got my third house under contract and using none of my own money for any of these projects, I'll have added $150,000 to my net worth. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason J. Lou Lewis. Today, we have Mr. Sterling Chapman on, and we're going to dive into just the overall concept of investing when you're working full-time and creative ways that he's been able to hack the system to build a $2 million portfolio through different avenues such as Burr, partnerships, seller financing, and other creative resources. Um, He is also not as only an investor, but he's also the president of Crestworth Capital and the host of the Rent Roll radio show. So it's going to be a great episode today with Mr. Sterling Chapman. Welcome on board. Awesome, Jason. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. Let's, let's dive right into the first time you got the taste of real estate. Maybe take us back to that first deal or maybe uh, that first just experience around real estate when you realized the power that real estate could do for you and, and others. Sure. So it all started... Uh, I guess about two and a half years ago, it started around the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. Um, I just got, I was, I just finished up my MBA. And so I'm a a full-time regional sales director at a big telecom company. And, you know, as with all major corporations, they, they move their human capital around sometimes and, and repurpose people and surplus people and people that have been there 10 years find themselves without of a job. And that had just happened to my boss and it kind of sent me into a panic mode. I said, well, I just envisioned myself like 10 years from now with, you know, three kids in private school and a mortgage and carb notes and had built my entire life around this corporate faucet that's feed me everything. And to imagine it turn off right over my head and it, it just sent me into a panic. So I said, all right, well, I've got to figure out something else. So I started reading. I started with um, reading the every financial book I could get my hands on. I started with Dave Ramsey. My wife must have thought I was crazy because I, I read Dave Ramsey one week. I said, we're never going to have any debt. We're going to tear up all the credit cards, blah, blah, blah. And then the next week I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I was like, okay, scratch that. We're going to get as much debt as we can. <laughs> so, um, I, I, and through, through that, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad led to a lot of his Rich Dad Advisor books and eventually bumped into the Bigger Pockets podcast and and uh, studied everything I could on, on real estate um, for about six months before I bought my first single family house. It was relatively uneventful. It was a $75,000 house. I'd looked at a hundred of them by this point and there was nothing creative about it. I'd saved up the 15% down payment. I think with closing costs and everything, I brought 14 grand to the closing table and my mortgage and insurance and taxes on that one were uh, 562 and I had it rented out for uh, 1060. So I made, you know, $600 a month off of that. And, and when I sat there and did the math, I was like, wow, I'm getting a 32% or 34% return on my investment. Um, 
So that at, at that point, I was like, "Oh, this is cool. I could I could just keep doing these and keep building them up, and and then eventually replace all my income." And and you know, I, I had no desire to quit my day job at the time, but I thought if they decide to quit me, I at least have some way to feed my family and pay all my bills. So that was that was really when when it got started. That's great, and that's what I took away from that. The most valuable item that I want people to here is that he looked at a hundred and that I hear a lot of successful real estate underwriters that are investors. They look at at least 100 deals. They underwrite them physically underwrite a hundred deals to everyone that they buy. And Sterling just casually just said, I bet I looked at a hundred. He probably, you, you probably did look at a hundred and, yeah. and then you made the right call on the one that you purchased. And then the takeaway, I think the big win is that it was uneventful. You looked at a hundred to get the one you wanted. You read all the books, you, you learned all you could. And then ultimately when you made the transition to make that first purchase, it was uneventful, which I think is what ultimate goal for everyone is, is to have it be uneventful because a lot of times events means there's, there's (laughs) stickiness. There is lawyers involved. There's title people. There is past owners. There's partners. There's city involved. So to to have underwrote a hundred or looked at a hundred and then made that purchase and it was uneventful is I think a home run for a first deal. So you did your first deal you're, you know, young dude, freshly out of college and wanting to get ready for three kids in private school down the road, it sounds like. And now you have a $2 million portfolio. So what's some wisdom or some creative stories along that process that you, you would like to share with our listeners that might help them whether they're buying their first house or whether they have a bunch of them, what's maybe something that you experienced as an experience share that could benefit others during this journey? Yeah. So one thing, and, and I, I can kind of finish the story and I, I know we're short on time, but I can breeze through it. Um, after that one, and, and you're a hundred percent right. When I say I looked at a hundred properties, I mean, I probably looked at several hundred online. I mean, I probably walked in physically 50 to 75 of them. Um, and that first, and I don't do that now every time, but, you know, just learn in the process. Somebody once told me um, fear is this education is the solution to fear. You know, once you understand it and you know, what's behind every corner, you don't get afraid anymore. But so I've always focused really heavily on the education after, after that, I, um, I did the same exact thing again, like a month later, I bought another house and it was very similar down payments. And, and then I was out of money. Right. Because, you know, saving 15 grand every time you put a down payment on a house is, is, you know, cumbersome and and time consuming. So that's when I I, I was almost to the point where I stopped reading and stopped listening to podcasts because it frustrated me. I was so bit by the bug and I was soaking up the education so much and I was so gung ho, but I didn't have any money. So I couldn't go buy anything else. Um, but I decided to kind of go a different direction and I, I picked up a book on low and no money down deals and, and then I, I really went and put a, put a creative plan together. And, and that was, uh, I went and found some duplexes and they were, they were pretty beat up. They were bad. They were off market and I had no money. So, but I do have a friend that flips houses. So I 
called him and, and he'd always wanted, ever since I became interested in buying rentals, he was like, well, look, find a deal and I can flip it up to you. You can still get it below market value and I can make my money, you know? So I, I, I got this deal under contract and I, I hate going through it because I've gone through this one on, on almost every podcast I've been on, but it was a really good creative deal. But I went to him and I said, look, I've got this. I've got these two duplexes under contract. If you fix them up and then let me cash out refinance, I can pay you off. I can pay your investors off and I'll give you $50,000. And he was like, okay, let, let's do it. So he didn't have all of the money. He had investors. I, at this point, owned two single-family houses. I didn't have any investors. I didn't have any track record, no credibility. Nobody was going to hand me, you know, $300,000 to go do a rehab project, and I'd never fixed anything. Um, but he was in the process of flipping houses all the time. He had investors. So he pulled in some of his investors' money, I think, to cover 90% or, or 80% of the whole project, but he was still short. So I pulled in, I had my brother invest a little bit too and, and throw in the gap. So we had his investors, his investors were making money. He was running the project, rehabbing it. He bought it with their money, added me to the title, threw my, my brother's money in there on like a, like a loan, like a promissory note to my brother that I would pay him back with 30% interest. And we got the rehab done. And at the end of the rehab, I went to the bank and I said, you know, give me 80% of the newly appraised value. So they did. And that was enough to pay back my brother plus his 30%. It was enough to pay back my friend's investors plus their interest. And it was enough to give my friend an extra 50 grand on top of it for, for, you know, helping the whole thing come together. So the, the numbers on that deal were we bought it for 190 we put 60 into it at the end of the, you know, in construction costs. And then they appraised for 390. So 80% of that is 312, which paid everybody else off. And they rented for uh, 1150 a door. So that's four doors that comes out to, I think, 4,600 a month. So, or, you know, I walked away from that with zero money out of pocket. Uh, $78,000 in equity and $2,000 a month cash flow. Heck yeah. That, those are the creative deals we like to hear about. Those aren't super scalable. You know, you can, you, I'm guessing that you can't just go do 200 of those. But the awesomeness about that is, is it can get people going and get them their bases. So then uh, they're, they're rocking and rolling. So, and that's, yeah. it's, if you maybe that a lot of times that could even be great just for one asset. Like if you just want to have a kid's college fund paid for that right there accomplishes that goal. Yeah. So that, I guess that was the, the long way to answer your initial question, which is, which is one little nugget I kind of learned along the way. And the, the thing that I walked away from that, uh, I call it a pet peeve of mine, but don't, take no from anybody in this particular circumstance, it was banks because banks, if they don't do a certain type of loan, they'll tell you that nobody does them. And it, it gets under my skin because either one of two things, either a, they're lying to you because they want you to buy one of their loan products. They don't want you to go into competitors or B they have no idea what they're talking about, but either way, I don't want to work with that bank, but I must've had 10 different banks tell me, no, there's no way you can do a cash out refinance day one on title when there's somebody else on the title and have them drop off. And, and 
and I mean, somebody did it right. The deal got done and, and come to find out there's, there's a handful of other banks who do, who do it. But those 10 banks that told me that nobody would do it, I'll never use them for anything. So I think a lot of other people probably, I mean, I'm, I'm a sales guy. I mean, cold calling a hundred people getting rejected a hundred times in a row is just something that I've developed a thick skin about over the years. But I, I feel like uh, most people going into that situation would have gone to the first two or three banks and they would have told them that no, nobody will do that type of loan. And they would have believed them and walked away. So, and they would have gone home and given up. So I would just encourage you. There's always another seller out there. There's always another buyer out there. There's always another bank out there. There's always another investor out there. There's always another deal out there. Don't give up. And don't believe anybody when they tell you something's not possible because just because they won't do it doesn't mean nobody will do it. It's great knowledge. So you got the bank, you got that deal. What's kind of transpired since then? So since then, I, I went and got a, a few more, a, a couple more duplexes. Um, and then I'm, I met a gentleman who did some seller financing and with this, you know, Meadow Meta Park was the property where I fixed up the duplexes. I always say Meadow Park made me. That was what gave me the confidence to, to do this, uh, you know, a lot more aggressively. And it w- it's what gave everybody around me the confidence and people wanting to invest with me at this point. So uh, from there, I, I, I met a guy who's an older gentleman. He is looking to retire. He's been 1031-ing his properties for 30 years, and he doesn't want to take like a, a huge uh, capital gains tax by unloading his whole portfolio at once. And then what's he going to really do with all the cash anyway? He just wants an income through his retirement. So we set up an arrangement where he's seller financing me all these properties. And you know, I put 10% down. I bought a couple of from him that way. Then I ran out of money again. My brother was satisfied with the the return I gave him on that first duplex deal and he wanted to get more involved. So he's put a down payment on a few more properties. So we, we, you know, we built up to about uh, 26 units doing, you know, partnerships and seller financing along the way. And then uh, this year, what I'm doing is I'm just, we call it burring properties. It's what I did with those duplexes, but I'm, I'm on my third house this year and um, I just buy them and in distress situation, using other people's money, fix them up, go to the bank, get an 80% cash out refinance, rent them out and just keep stacking them. So on the three houses that I've done, I say, well, I don't know what everybody else is doing during the pandemic, but I'm working harder than ever. It, since the pandemic started, I, I, I just got my third house under contract and using none of my own money for any of these projects. And I will have, if everything you know goes right on the third property appraisal, I'll have added $150,000 to my net worth, you know, not to mention uh, probably over a grand in cash flow. And I'm not going to, I could have flipped the houses. I'm not going to sell them. I, I, you know, I have a day job. I have income coming in. I don't need them. I want them to sit there and grow and have the debt get paid down and have them appreciate and just enjoy the cash flow. That's great. Is there a, a next phase of, Certainly Chapman of doing this yeah. full time. And is it what what does that kind of look like in way of of that big picture? Is it keep keep cranking these burrs or is it no. you got bit with the multifamily bug like yeah. a lot of people have? <laughs> yeah, definitely got bit with the multifamily bug. So I started um I got interested in the multifamily 
uh, deal or the syndication deal about towards the end of last year. I just realized for a while there, and I've, I've since turned over the management of most of my properties, but for up until a few weeks ago, I was managing 29 properties myself with a full-time job, with a full-time podcast, with a 10-month-old baby. It, it just, I mean, I was, there was, there was no way I could scale out. I couldn't deal with one more headache or problem. And syndication just seemed to be a, a good model to hire third-party management you know, grow bigger, bigger portfolios and in better markets. So I got interested. I read Joe Fairless's book on syndication and it was real step-by-step kind of how to get started. So that's when I started my podcast, the Rent Roll Radio Show. And then um, I created my website for my company, Crestworth Capital. And and I've just been kind of building the brand and building the network out since then. I, I, I linked up with a guy, Andrew Bro, out of Utah, who has got 21 years in banking experience. He's a phenomenal underwriter. And, and, you know, we've just been kind of tag teaming it. Now we're, we got, we got the funds lined up. We've got a lot of good broker relationships built it. We're just out there aggressively trying to get our first hundred plus unit under contract. So uh, that that's, I always say I have two lanes in real estate open. One is to keep, because I just, I love how I can grow my net worth with these Burr properties because I mean, in real time, I'm adding fifty thousand dollars a month every time. It takes a month for me to rehab a, a property, and every time I'm just stacking it up. So I, I can't walk away from that. And on the other side, I know how big I want to get, and I know you know where I want to go. And I think uh, large multifamily syndication is is really the only thing that's going to get me to where I want to go as fast as I want to go there. Um, as far as a full time effort, I, I, I don't know. Um, it's a my 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 day job, you know, pays a lot of money and it's hard to walk away from that with building a big family with all the insurance and other benefits associated with it. But I, I would imagine three to five years, I, I would, I'd be full-time if not sooner. Sounds like a good strategy. What, what age would that put you at at that point? Where- so I'll never work for anybody again after 40. That's for sure. I'm okay. third, I'm 34 right now. Uh, my, I, I write my daily goals down every day in my journal, my journal, and it's it's to be able to have the option to leave my day job if I if I choose to, in 2022. So that that'd be three years from now. That would be when I'm uh, 20 or when I'm 37. So I, I I don't know if I will, but I would like the ability to. I would like to have that freedom of choice at that age. Yeah, flex, flexibility and uh, just overall control of your yeah. destiny is, is the key. So I, I had a goal since I was a little kid of being financially retirable at 35. I had no idea what 35 meant, um, but my parents had me at 35. So I said, I want to be financially retireable at, at 35. So that's kind of been, that was always my goal. And um, it was kind of arbitrary number, but yeah. So around that 35, 37, I think was a similar number. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't get into this thing to leave my day job. You hear about a lot of other people who hate their day job. I never hated my day job. I, I love what I do. I'm good at it. I enjoy it. I was just always afraid they were going to quit me. That was the whole, the whole initial reaction 
like was to create a safety net in case something happened to make sure that my family could still have the, the lifestyle that we wanted. Since then, it's grown into so much more as what happens when you network with other, you know, great investors and they show you what's possible and the, you know, how you can create a lifestyle by design and what's available and that you could never have to work again after you're, you know, and, and so since then it's blossomed into so much more, but I've never been in a huge hurry to, you know, quit my day job. Like I said, I enjoy what I do. Um, I'm sure at some point I'll, I'll grow it and where I want to spend more time and energy. And, and there, there are times I would like to put more, I would like to create more content. I would like to build my brand stronger with my syndication business. And, and you know, I, I don't really have time to do that with my day job, but it's, it's just not quite a, a transition I'm fully ready to make yet. Well, I have no doubt once you're ready, uh, you'll be successful going full-time into the real estate because it sounds like you've done an awesome job, even quote, kind of part-time. So <laughs> well, let's, let's take a quick break for our commercial uh, and we'll jump back into the final five here in a second. Hey, it's Adam Adams and I am thrilled and excited to announce the launch of my brand new brand new YouTube channel. So I don't know if you like YouTube or not, if you watch YouTube or not, but if you do, head over and please subscribe to the Apartment Investing Show. This YouTube channel is 100% about apartments only. If you're looking to fix and flip, not the right show for you. If you're looking to invest in hotels, not the right show for you. This is the apartment investing show, and I mean the apartment investing show, and I'm thrilled and excited about it. If you can, do me a giant favor, run over there right now, if you're a YouTube watcher, and find the apartment investing show, please give me a rating and a review, like give us a thumbs up and subscribe, click that bell. We're going to be pushing out some amazing content on the YouTube channel, so if you are looking to scale and grow and get into apartments, whether it's syndication or just owning these on your own, the Apartment Investing Show is the right show for you. Go look for the Apartment Investing Show on YouTube right now, and I'll see you there. We're back from break. We have Sterling, and we're going to jump right into the final five. First question, Sterling, what is the most creative real estate deal that you've done or maybe involved in or, or even maybe heard about? Well, I, I'm just, I think I, I maybe jumped the gun on you. I'm going to have to go back to the deal that I described earlier. There's just so many moving components that make it such a creative deal. There was, you know, I didn't have the, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the, the knowledge. I didn't have the investors, the credibility or anything. And I just, I brought all the different parts together to make it work. So I, not only did I that I engaged the house flipper who didn't have the money, but he had the, the experience and the knowledge and the construction background, but he had investors, but his investors didn't have all the money. So I brought money in from somewhere else and, you know, and then made it all happen and was able to buy it in a way that it never involved me to come up with a penny because it got him to add me to the title when he bought it. And then when I just went to the bank to do a cash out refinance, we just dropped him off the title. And, and so essentially created all of that out of thin air. Um, so that was a huge, huge creative deal right there. Another one that as, as you know, just leverage in two different pieces of creativity. I have a fourplex that I didn't spend a penny on because 
we had a seller finance, you know, the guy was able to, was willing to give it to us with 10% down on great terms, 30 years, six and a half percent with only 10% down. I didn't even have the 10%. So I got an investor to put the 10% down. So now half of the cash flow, half of the equity of that fourplex is, is mine. And, uh, and I didn't have to come out of pocket. So that was another, you know, putting two different creative methods together to make something happen. We love to hear those types of stories. Certainly, where do you see the market in five years and where do you see yourself in five? Well, I hope that the market is in a decent place in five years because I, uh, my loans are all due in about four and a half. So I'm going to need to refinance. So I hope the banks aren't beat up too bad. Uh, I, I don't know. There's, you know, there's so much, so much unknown at this point with what's going on with the you know, Corona economy and everything. But one thing that I'm pretty confident is going to happen is that the values of everything are going to shoot up over the next five years because we're printing money like crazy. So, you know, that, that's, that's kind of how I'm the direction I'm heading is that what we're doing to, to stimulate the economy, to keep it alive right now with the feds doing printing money, it, it's, it's got to go somewhere and it's, it's, it's just going to cause some massive inflation. Um, down the road. So my bet is that in five years, we're going to see the price of everything start to rise. Yep. Yep. I definitely could see that happening. So what is a book that you like to read or go ahead? I'll answer your book question, but I didn't answer the other half of that question. So where do I see myself in five years? I see myself on a a five acre ranch with uh, my three kids, uh, only working part time on my syndication business, uh, not not having to spend any time at my W two job. I like it. That, I I didn't want to dive in to that follow up of the where will you be just in case you were a little uncertain or something. So I like that you jumped in and and you're very specific. Five acres in five years, three kids working kind of part time. So I like it. Uh, any any animals on that that five acres? I have two uh, corgis and I'm sure my wife will have a plethora of animals out there. All right. All right. I'm, I'm a big fan of chickens, fresh eggs every morning. It's great. So hopefully in five years when we have you back on, uh, you're, you're telling us about all your llamas and goats and, <laughs> and chickens and everything. So absolutely a uh, book. What's, what's one you like or recommend? So I personally, I mean, there's, there's two books. There's so many books that stand out. It's, it's always hard to pick one that I, I don't hear a lot of people talk about that I, I really did like was a Steve Burgess, the complete guide to real estate finance for investment properties. Um, because I have a background in finance, I have an undergrad in finance and I have an MBA with concentration of finance. And, and that just really like, ties together all these formulas that I learned in school that I never knew what they meant or what I was ever going to do with them. And this shows me how I can apply them to my real estate investing business. So I really love that one for connecting the dots. And then as I mentioned earlier, uh, I love Joe Fairless's book on apartment syndication, the best ever apartment syndication book. Great. We'll throw those in the show notes. And the fact that you just said that you use something you learned in college, that's, uh, that's a miracle <laughs> right there. So a lot of, a lot of people uh, come on and say, ah, college is a waste and I should have started investing when I was 18 and gone straight into it. So, hey, folks, Sterling saying he actually gained some knowledge from it and it was, it was a benefit. So there you go. Um, and then where, uh, what's a way that you like to give back to the real estate community 
that's given to you these last few years and, and put you in the position you are today? Yeah. So, I mean, the whole thing around the podcast was to give back because I was reaching out to all these successful investors and asking for them for advice anyway. And I thought like, you know, I learned everything I know about real estate from listening to like bigger pockets and other podcasts. So if I'm, if I'm asking these questions, I'm sure other investors have the same question. So why don't I just record it and release it to them? And then there's a lot of, and I try and be very conscious and mindful about being as helpful as I can to every person that reaches out to me from it. Cause a lot do, and I'll go have coffee with them or, or I'll review their deals. And, and, you know, a lot of times they'll make comments like, Oh, well, can I pay you for this or pay you? I'm like, no, you can't pay me for it. Like we're just helping each other out. I'm, you know, we might invest in an apartment complex together down the road. Like this good karma could always come back on us. So everybody who I have probably seven or eight uh, local guys who heard my podcast and were interested in getting started. And I'm texting with them several times a day and I'm meeting with them for coffee once every week or so to kind of go over their progress and help, help, take them to the next level. It's great. It's a great way to give back. If someone is interested in being one of those seven or eight guys that you're kind of mentoring, it sounds like a little bit, what's, what's the best way they can reach out to you? Yeah. So, um, they can email me at sterling at crestworthcapital.com. They can, um, they can check out our, our podcast, the rent roll radio show. They can reach out to me at Sterling Chapman on Facebook or rent roll radio on Facebook. Um, yeah, we'll go ahead and throw the, the email in there at the bottom and along with the link to the, your podcast so they can listen to some episodes, see your style, see if, if your type of thought processes works and kind of correlates with theirs. We've, we found a lot of times that listening to someone's podcast or some of their videos or interviews they've done tell a lot about whether or not they're the style and kind of culture that will resonate. And it's a good way to, to save some time. So you're not reaching out yeah. to someone in advance that might not be a, a great fit. So cool. Well, Sterling, we're going to wrap up for today, but as always, my friend, until next time, thank outside the box. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Creative Real Estate Podcast. Jason Lewis and myself, Adam Adams, are grateful to have you as a loyal listener. And I do have one quick favor to ask is if you are looking for apartment investing, then go to apartmentinvestingshow.com. That is the brand new YouTube channel that I just launched. Brand new YouTube channel. Uh, again, this is only for apartment investing. That's all we talk about there. It is the apartment investing show and you can find it by going to apartmentinvestingshow.com.